You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, please take your Bibles or your device and turn to Matthew chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 1. We're going to look at all of Matthew 3 today. And last time we were here together, it was 2018. Uh, years passed, it seems. Well, now where we are in Matthew, 30 years has passed. Matthew takes us at the end of chapter 2 to Jesus and his family moving to Nazareth. And now, I mean, we went from 2018, 2019 great in one week. We're going 30 years now forward to Matthew chapter 3, zips forward to the beginning of Jesus's public ministry, and it begins in the wilderness. Not in the urban sprawl of Jerusalem, but it begins in a tense scene with thundering voices piercing the air and the splashing of the Jordan River. So here with John the Baptist and here at the baptism of Jesus, there are voices you must hear in this passage and why they matter to you, why John the Baptist and why Jesus' baptism matter not just to your life in 2019, but why they matter to your eternity. So as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of the word of Christ And our brother Matthew tells us, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3, that in those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John had a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locust and wild honey. Then people from Jerusalem and all Judea and all the vicinity of the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children from Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I, and I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you and yet you come to me? Jesus answered him, allow it for now because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. 
When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now. Help us to hear these voices in this passage today. Help us to hear you thundering from your word, what you have for us and what it means for us today. And that it, what it would look like for us to find our feet today, hearing and standing as though our feet are caked in sand on the edge of the Jordan River. Help us now, King Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I know it feels like I'm supposed to talk about resolutions, right? First Sunday of the new year, lots of new faces, lots of old faces. It's so good to, to see everybody. Um, I'm a pastor. It's new. Let's talk about resolutions and change our lives and get pumped up. Well, I'm sure I can just save us a lot of time and say, just copy and paste whatever you had last year. Just do that. You'll be fine. Let's pray and go home. But no. While it can seem hokey to talk about resolutions and, and it's really not totally off base. Matthew 3 does give us something to be resolute about. Purposeful, unwavering about. And it's what John the Baptist says and what he directs us to. Now, John the Baptist, that word Baptist, it's, we've got to be clear, it is not Baptist in like the churches we know about and the denomination. It's literally in Greek, it's John the baptizer, the dipper. That's all that word means, dipper, dunker, immerser. He is famous for being the guy who dunks people in the Jordan River, dips them in water as they confess sins, as they repent, and as they turn to follow God. This is what John does. He is pointing people to the Messiah to come. And he is easily one of the most interesting people in the Bible. If you're doing the Bible reading plan that we started this last week, uh, you can grab a plan on the way out. You can get it from the church website under the resources page. You read a lot about John the Baptist this week. Um, you read him in all four Gospels. He was Jesus' cousin, born a few months before him. And when Mary, Jesus' mom, was pregnant with him, and she met with Elizabeth, John's mom, pregnant with him. And they met up, saw each other. The Bible says in the Gospel of Luke that John leapt in his mother's womb just being around the Messiah. And what I love about John is also the oddness of him. This dude is weird and in an amazing way. Because if you, we were all around family around you know, these last few weeks. If you've got an uncle that never upgraded his wardrobe, he's still rocking his 1960s, 1970s getup, you're kind of catching a picture of the, of the Baptist. If you've got an aunt who still is rocking her 80s hairdo, I had to scan the first service before I said all this. We're good here. They haven't upgraded. They seem like they are from another era. And this is John the Baptist. He's got a little bit of that vintage flair to him. He seems like he's from a different time period. Look at what he's wearing. Look at verse four. 
Now, John had a camel hair garment. The reason why Matthew points this out is because it's strange. And that alone would raise some eyebrows. He lives in the wilderness wearing camel hair. But look at his diet. I'm not sure if this is keto or not, but look at what he eats. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Honey, he's not getting at H-E-B. He is stealing it from honeycombs, fighting bees, grabbing big slobs of honey and carrying it around with him. And these locusts are not like the little things we think of, little cicadas on our trees, those little shells. No, these are giant grasshoppers. So this guy has grasshopper breath, honey caked in his beard, wearing camel hair, and screaming out in the desert, screaming out by the banks of the Jordan River. This guy's an attention getter. It's like one of those old Geico commercials with a caveman learning to drive a car. A caveman working at an office, you know, trying to staple papers together. It's funny because, oh, this is so out of place. John is so jarring because he is a throwback to those high voltage prophets and the Old Testament. In fact, he is Elijah-esque. He, John has one foot in the old as the last prophet pointing to the Messiah, and he has one foot in the new. He is the bridge between these two worlds. And in fact, flip in your Bible or swipe in your Bible two pages to the left. In my Bible, it's just two pages to the left. The last two verses in the Old Testament are about John the Baptist, who we just read about. And it's on the screen too. Malachi chapter four, verses five and six, last two verses. How does the Old Testament end? Look, I am going to send you the prophet Elijah. Now Elijah's long dead and gone. What's he saying? Someone like Elijah. Before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes and he will turn. He will have a message of repentance to the hearts of fathers, to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Boom, Old Testament over. No more public prophecies for 400 years. Until this camel-shirted locust eater is screaming by the Jordan River. And look at his mission. Verse 3, Matthew grabs it. For he is the one spoken of, not just through Malachi, but through the prophet Isaiah, who said, a voice howling, a voice crying, a voice screeching out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Look to the Messiah. And as he's screaming out in the desert, people are showing up. Matthew gives the impression that a revival is breaking out. Look at verse 5. Then people from Jerusalem, all Judea, in the vicinity of the Jordan, we're going out to him. Verse 6, they're being baptized by him in the Jordan River. They're confessing their sins. A, I mean, droves of people are coming out, hearing and responding. And what was his message that was drawing these giant crowds? Matthew's one-sentence summary for what John was howling in the Judean wilderness is this in verse 2. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven has come here. This is what you must hear this morning. You must hear the words, repent now. Repent now. This is not a popular word. No one likes it. I don't like it in my flesh, my sinful nature. I don't want to hear this word. I don't want to be corrected. You, you don't either. No one likes being told what you're doing is wrong. You've got to turn and change. But we need this word. 
Repentance doesn't mean to just change your mind about something. It means to change your direction. Repentance means to totally rethink your life down into the deepest levels of who you are. Have you done that? Have you thought about your desires, your goals, your aim and life, your actions, down into the deepest recesses of who you are and rethought them completely? This is, this is the beginning message of the gospel. And Jesus, after John goes to prison and is killed, Jesus picks up this exact sermon. It's the first thing we hear Jesus preach, repent, the kingdom has come here, near, now. So this isn't just the, the ravings of a locust-dipping lunatic in the wilderness. This is a message from God. And listen, being a Christian Being in the kingdom of heaven means that behind the scenes in your heart and mind, you have rethought your life and you found it derailing. You found it bankrupt, crashing, dead. But then by faith in Christ, you found it redeemed by his cross and redeemed by his resurrection from the crypt. What John wants to make known to us, what Matthew wants to make known to us is that no one gets into the kingdom of heaven without repentance. That's exactly why John says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near, here. Time is almost up. And I want you to hear me loud and clear. This is so important to me, and I wish I was wearing a camel hair shirt so you would all pay attention to me. I am so burdened by being in the Bible Belt because I know many people and people who attend our services and people out in the community right now, they think they are Christians and they aren't. They think they're Christians because they think going to church, that's, that makes you a Christian. That's what you gotta do. You gotta go to church, go into church, you're saved. No. Or people think adding just Christian stuff to their life, stuffing their life with more Christian stuff, that's what you need to do to be right with God. And that's not it. And I think churches get it wrong when they say things like, we got to get people churched. That's our goal. We got to get our community churched. We got to get people churched. That's not what we need. None of that is what any of us need down at our deepest level. Adding church attendance, adding Christian stuff on top of your life will not fix you and will not make you right with God. What all of us need is repentance, is to turn from our sin. And turn not to church attendance, not to, I'm just going to read the Bible more, not to, I'm going to be a really good person, but turning to Jesus. You must look at the things in your life and your life as a whole and say, this is offensive to God. This is against what God says. This is not what God calls for. This is not what God has designed me for. And I'm turning to him. I'm walking away from that. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the table. I'm out. I'm done. So when you first become a Christian, that's what you're doing. You look at the whole acreage of your life and say, nope, it's all wrong. I need Jesus' death and resurrection. I need his forgiveness. I need him to save me. You don't just need additions to your life. Church attendance, Bible reading, marriage book, parenting book. 
You don't need just additions to your life. You need subtraction from your life. My sins now on Jesus, and then Jesus giving his life to me. Has that happened to you? I'm glad you're here. But attending church will not save you. Christ himself will save you. It can happen today. And if you are a Christian, there are still moments in our life where we look at the acreage of our life and we go, well, that's not a good plant. That, I'm looking at what I'm supposed to be growing, the fruits of the Spirit. That is not in the list. That's got to go. I've got to rip it up. I've got to turn from it. I've got to walk in what Christ has called me to. And the reason why John has so much urgency here over this is that in a, there's, a, there's a real reality you must hear. Not only do you need to hear repent now, but why you must repent now is you must hear him say, judgment is coming. When he says repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And he talks about an ax already hitting the bark of that tree. And when he talks about the match is about to get struck, what he is saying with the kingdom getting near is that judgment is around the corner. And this sounds old school too, doesn't it? Fire and brimstone, hell and judgment, it's all here in the text. And when we talk about Jesus saving us and people needing salvation, think about it. Saved from what? You need Jesus to save you. From what? I saved a little girl one time from drowning in the ocean. Did you hear what I said? I saved a little girl from drowning. What does Jesus save us from? Our sins, yes, but follow the dots. From hell. From judgment. From drowning over and over in the punishment that our sins deserve. That's why John says, turn, you don't have to go that way. Turn, the kingdom is near. The clock is ticking. Not only in your life, but also on this earth when it will dissolve like snow and a new earth will arrive and the judgment will have occurred and where will you stand? See, Christ is the king. When he said his kingdom is here, he's saying the king's here and he's ushering in his kingdom. It's already, but not yet fully here. So where are you? And it's really important when he says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. I couldn't help but think of the most popular video game in the world, Fortnite. And I see kids already, Fortnite, yes. I've played a little bit of Fortnite. I'm not good, I'm horrible, but I get the gist of the game. While you're facing other players in this game and battling, what's happening on the edges of this map is this giant purple storm. And it's, it's growing. Every second, it's making the map smaller. It's making the battle more intense. And you have nowhere to hide because you'll die in the storm. You have to engage with other enemies. You've got to go out and fight or else the storm will get you. And so when John is saying the kingdom is here, he's saying it's getting closer to you. You, you can't avoid it. You can't evade it. 
You have nowhere to hide from the kingdom of God coming near. The ax is at the tree. The shovel is about to hit the ground. The match is about to get struck. Is your life dangling over the flames after your last breath? That's why John says, turn, repent, believe, trust Christ. He says, I'm, John says, I'm baptizing you with water, but there is someone coming after me who is greater than me. Who, he's so amazing and so powerful and awesome, I'm not even worth holding his shoes. And while I baptize you with water, he will baptize people with either the Spirit or with fire. He will either say, you are saved or you get my wrath. So where are you? See, people come out to John agreeing, we need to be baptized. I need to confess my sins. I need to be right with God. I need to be waiting for his Messiah. So this is different than our baptisms we do today, where we live after the resurrection. This is a baptism of believers that we do. This is a baptism of, I want to be believing when the Messiah comes. But John's baptism is still applies. There's a truth for us. Repent now, today. You cannot afford to wait. And it's not enough to just confess, I messed up, I'm a sinner. Anyone can admit wrong. But it's the surrendered life to Christ that counts. That faith in the Messiah that, that counts. John says, I want to see fruit, not just optics. While droves of sinners are coming out to John, who else does? Who else comes out to the Jordan Riverside? Verse 7. He saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism. These are the other antagonists in the Gospel of Matthew. They don't believe. They're, they are antagonistic towards Christ and the Messiah. They're the foes. The Pharisees are the strict of the strict. The legalists, the experts in the law, they're intense, they're hyper-spiritual. They invent more laws to follow. They're influential. The Sadducees, the other rival gang in Jerusalem, they're connected to the temple. They're elite. They're upper class. They're bourgeois. They're always looking down on others too. And now these two rival gangs have come together and are against John the Baptist. And they look at him and he looks at them. And what does John say? Oh, welcome. No, no, no. What does he say? Who invited you snakes out here? Who invited you grandkids of the devil out to what I'm doing? See, he knows why they're here. He knows their optics. You just want to look like you're a part. You want to look like you're a part of what God is doing. But you have no interest in what's really going on here. Maybe you're cynical of what's going on. You, you think you're in the right. John tells them, you have no interest and confession or repentance are really walking with God. You wouldn't dare humble yourself to be a sinner. But if you do, look at what he says. Verse 8. Therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. Show me fruit. Not a one time. Anybody can get dunked in water one time. John says, show me the ongoing life. Show me the fruit consistent with repentance. You don't have it, Pharisees and Sadducees. But he tells all the onlookers, and he tells all of us, keep repenting. Keep turning. That's what Martin Luther said at the beginning of his 95 thesis. When our Lord Jesus said to repent, he said it is going to be a life of ongoing repentance. Every Christian has an initial repentance, but then every day afterwards is also one of repentance, of realigning ourselves with Christ. 
And these Pharisees and Sadducees, they think they're fine. We have our heritage. We're fine. And he knows that they're going to think that. Look at verse 9. Don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these Jordan riverbed rocks. Some of you think because of your background, you and God are good. And John wants you to say, you're not good. Because you grew up in a Christian home, you must be fine. You are not fine. Doesn't matter what your church's theology is. Doesn't matter that you've been a deacon at a church before. Doesn't matter that you've been a pastor at a church before. Doesn't matter that you've gone on a mission trip. Doesn't matter. Your background cannot save. You need Jesus. Doesn't matter that your parents were Christians. Doesn't matter that your grandparents were Christians. Your denomination can't save you. Your church can't turn you from your sins and offer you forgiveness. Just Jesus. Only Jesus can give you the Holy Spirit. Only Jesus can baptize you with the Spirit or he will end up baptizing you with fire. That's what he says. Look at verse 10. The ax is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce this good fruit consistent with repentance will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And then he says at the end of verse 11, he himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Meaning, Spirit, you're saved. Genuine repentance. The Spirit, now to the fire, Sometimes you'll hear people talk about you get baptized with this fire, this, this charismatic energy, and you're on fire. No, 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 no. Giving you wrath is what he's talking about. Because what does the exact next verse say? His winnowing shovel is in his hand. He's reaped his harvest. He will clear his threshing floor. What has he harvested? And gather the wheat, the real believers, into the barn. But the chaff, those who did not repent and follow him, he will burn with fire that never goes out. And as John is saying and giving his snake sermon and screaming about a fire that will never go out, who walks up? Jesus. You can almost hear the echo of John yelling through honeycomb in his beard, the fire that never goes out. And then verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to John. So you've got the Pharisees and Sadducees on one side of the hill. Then you've got the Son of God coming on the other side of the hill. John the Baptist standing in the middle and he sees Jesus. Verse 14, and he wants to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And yet you come to me. John says, this is supposed to be the other way. Jesus wants to be baptized. And think about how shocking this is. What's been happening? There is a line of sinners now on the banks of the Jordan River. Out here confessing their sins, repenting, turning from their sins. And Jesus says, I want in on this. John can't believe it. You? You're the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You're the Messiah. No, I need to be baptized by you. You're the Lamb of God. This isn't right. And what does Jesus say? Verse 14, 15. Jesus answered him, allow it for now. Because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Do you know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, John, I want to be baptized by you. Because this is right where I want to be. Around sinners. 
around people who are confessing, around people who are repenting and turning from their sin. This is what I came for. This is where I am found. Snakes look on. Sinners get saved. I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to call the sick. Those who are well don't need a physician. Those who are sick need me. And Jesus gets dunked in the Jordan River to show you how much he identifies with sinners. How much he is willing to be around you, even in the midst of all your sin. Even in the midst of all your embarrassing brokenness. Jesus says, I came for this. He came for you. I mean, think about it. He went into the same water that all the other sinners went into, confessing sins. He doesn't have any sins to confess. But showing you, I am willing to take your sins. I am willing to be found with your sins now on me. I'm willing to die for sins. I am willing to own your sins as he stands in that water. And I'm willing to die for them, to raise from the dead after them. Jesus says, is that what you want? Because this is how we will fulfill all righteousness, by me being buried and dead in people's sins. And then me rising out of that water, me rising again from the dead and offering new life to everyone who believes. Is that what you hear? See, Jesus did this to fulfill all righteousness so it could be given to you. And hear what happened next. As Jesus is baptized and comes up out of the water, wiping the Jordan River off of his eyes, hugging his cousin, a voice booms from the sky. And the Holy Spirit descends like a dove on and lands on Jesus, anointing him as a king and anointing him as the Messiah. And the Father speaks. The whole Trinity is involved here. Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. This pyrotechnic scene at the Jordan waters, land and sky. Just like Genesis 1. With the waters, the land, and the sky And a word comes out from the Father. And now here we are again. Land, water, sky. And a word comes out from the Father. What did he say in Genesis? This is very good. Now what does he say about his son? This is my son. And he is very good. This is my beloved son, verse 17 with whom I am well pleased. Talk about authentication of your ministry. Here Jesus begins his ministry and now a voice booms from the heavens. This is my son. See, anytime the father speaks, his logos, his word is always the son. We only hear the father speak two times in the four gospels. And it's at this scene And it's at his transfiguration when Jesus is on the mount and he transfigures before Peter, James, and John in front of Moses and Elijah. We hear the exact same words. This is my son with whom I am well pleased because the word of the father is always the son. As Jesus is launching his ministry, his father approves and everyone hears it. John hears it. Sinners hear it. Pharisees hear it. Jesus hears it. 
Is this what you hear? That when you think about Jesus, what do you think of him? The father says, this is what you should think of him, that he's my beloved son and I am thrilled with him. I approve of him. And this is what we have in Jesus, beloved. The dearly loved, precious son of God who makes the father in heaven smile. And here's why this matters to you. A lot of you are trying to please God on your own. And you're crushed by it. A lot of you are trying to secure your place with God, but just by being good enough, by reading enough, by not looking at things you shouldn't at enough, by trying to be this kind of person that you've dreamed that God wants you to be, and yet you're crushed every single time, every single year, because you're not sure, am I okay with God? Does God approve of me? And what Jesus' baptism is showing to you is, look, there is one person in the universe that the Father says, I approve of him. And when you believe in the Son, when you trust in Christ, what happens to you is that you are now united to Christ. When you are crucified with Christ, and it's no longer you who live, but Christ who now lives in you. So now the statement that the Father made about the Son, now the Father looks at you and says, my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. My beloved son, my beloved daughter, with whom I am well pleased because you are now found in Christ. And what is true of him is now true of you. When you are in Christ and your sins are forgiven and his life is now yours, the father's word about you is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. This is how the Father sees us in Christ. Christ defines you. Is that what you hear in your life? Your flesh will try to tell you otherwise. Legalists will try to tell you otherwise. The demonic powers will try to tell you otherwise. But you hear the word about Christ and now about you because you are in Christ, that he is our life and he is our peace. That's why a dove lands. Have you ever thought about why in the world does the Holy Spirit, like a dove, land on Christ? Why not something cool like an eagle or a hawk or an owl that's wise or a griffin or I don't know. Why not something that would be, like, make people go, whoa, why a measly lame dove? Well, do you remember what happened in the book of Genesis? Noah's Ark? After the Ark lands and it stops raining, what does Noah do? He lets out a dove. And it comes back, but it brings a branch, signaling to Noah, there, there's, this dove has nowhere to land. He, does, he waits, sends the dove out again, and the bird doesn't return, showing the creations emerged. We can now live again. And now when the dove lands on the Son of God, He's signaling to us as he emerges out of the water, the creation, the true new creation has emerged and has landed on him. And now you can live again in Christ. What do you hear? Hear the son of God emerging from the water. Hear the voice crying in the wilderness inviting you to turn to Christ and hear the voice booming from the sky. This is my son. Look to him and keep looking at him resolutely, unwaveringly, 
forever. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.